Hey, this is Josh. I'm really excited that we have put a date and a time down to meet with Father Laird in a question and answer session to talk through chapters one through four of A Sunlit Absence. This will be next Thursday, July 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And realize you do not have to have been reading the book closely. You don't even need to have been listening to every single episode of this podcast. You just need to come with a sincere desire to ask some questions, to listen, to learn. So you can find the Zoom link for this session on the website under this episode's blog post. You can also find it if you're subscribed to the invitation as well as if you have done the extra sign-up for information to be emailed to you ASAP about this session with Father Laird and then the closing session, which will be probably at the beginning or middle of August. Hello, this is Josh, we continue with part eight of our journey through A Sunlit Absence, Father Martin Laird's second of three books on contemplative spirituality. As we finished up our last time together, I was offering you some larger context of desert spirituality, the teachings of the Abbas and the Amas on inner silence and the vocabulary of apatheia. This is apatheos without passions. The desert fathers taught that the passions were these impulses inside of ourselves that control us, that redirect us, that obstruct our path towards God that confuse and trouble our prayer. I read from a section of John Cassian's writings on the passions, what has also been called in the history of the church, the vices. And what Father Laird is teaching us in a thorough uh, developmental way is that silence is a kind of mirror, it is a kind of light, It reveals us and it shows what forces are pushing and pulling inside of our deeper selves. These are forces that we can't pay attention to when we stay busy on the surface level and distracted. So we pursue apatheos, apatheia, and this is close to apathy. That word apathy is a negative, pejorative term that we use today. That's not what we're after in the physical sense. We're looking at a spiritual apatheos. This is an inner freedom. This is a stillness to cooperate 
with the presence of God. Before we finish chapter three here, I can't help myself but want to continue to give you some more context of this desert spirituality. It is on the shoulders of the desert Abbas and Amas that we stand. It is on their shoulders that Father Laird is working. Um, one of the greatest gifts that the desert tradition, the desert community offers us, if you happen to have spent time reading the sayings of the Desert Fathers, or if you'd like to dive in at some point in the future, what you'll see is a set of many voices. And the gift of these voices is that they are many. This can be both bewildering and confusing, but yet also comforting. When we say that there is a desert spirituality, we're not pointing to one specific monolithic way of going about this inner noticing. There is a diversity of voices, and each of them have different nuances. And I say nuances, but there's also pretty extreme differences as well. In chapter 3 here, Father Laird describes for us the story of a man who is able to identify silence in relation to the buzz of an electric saw. Indeed, most of us do not live lives in a cloister where silence is readily available. And we're having to identify ways of creating and sustaining an inner silence, even in the midst of the noise that is around us. So on one hand, we all do need to return to physical silence, to sacred spaces to help train and cultivate this inner silence. However, most of us will not have access to that 24-7. And we're having to figure out what to do in a noisy world. This would not have been an ideal experience for Abba Arsenius of the Desert Fathers, Arsenius was a relatively grumpy older man, terse and direct in the way that he handled his disciples. One of Arsenius's sayings goes like this. One day, Abba Arsenius came to a place where there were reeds blowing in the wind. The old man said to the brothers, What is this movement? They said, Some reeds. Then the old man said to them, When one who is living in silent prayer hears the song of a little sparrow, his heart no longer experiences the same peace. How much worse is it when you hear the movement of those reeds? So on one hand, in this reading with Father Laird, we have a man, a gentleman, who is able to identify silence in relation to a buzzsaw. And on the other hand, we have Father Arsenius, who gets grumpy when he hears sparrows and reeds rushing in the wind. The question for our meditation today, then, is 
What do you need to cultivate that interior silence? What kinds of disciplines and patterns of life? What places do you need to go? What kinds of devices do you need to keep off? Do you need to stay up later for silence or get up earlier? Do you need to take more breaks during the day from your work and remaining busy? Do you need to be more intentional before you begin cooking to open yourself to God so that you can cultivate an interior silence while you're chopping vegetables or washing dishes? We'll each find our own tricks, our own strategies, so we can avoid the reactive life and bring the contemplative together with the active life. So let's return to our practice of prayer, with the Jesus prayer, saying the sacred name of Jesus. The question of contemplative practice is how to be present to ourselves. And as we're present to ourselves, we open our inner self to the presence of God. Saying the name of Jesus, breathing in. And out. slowing our racing thoughts, noticing any emotions that distract, locating the tension in our bodies. If we have to, doing some stretching, As we awaken in the morning, we awaken to a new day. And just so we awaken to God in prayer, stretching, yawning, opening, welcoming, saying yes to Jesus as we breathe in, and no to our passions, our greeds, our selfishness as we breathe out. Yes, to Jesus' abundance, his lordship, his wisdom as we breathe in. And no to impatience, anger as we breathe out. Amen. It's continuing. Page 49, The Silence of the Electric Saw. It is one thing to see the unity of silence and sound when our teachers are birdsong 
and the sea's breaking waves. But what might Wallace Stevens or Robert Penn Warren say about unpleasant noise? Can noise also be a vehicle of, quote, peace after perfect speech, end quote? Does the sound we would prefer not to hear have anything to reveal? Can noise, too, be a teacher pointing to the silence that is the ground of all? Is noise also, like everything else that exists, a spoke leading into the hub that is the center of us all? The measure of our ability to live in silence is our reaction to noise, whether external or internal, and not the length of time we go without hearing anything or hearing only what we like to hear. As contemplative practice matures, we begin to relate to disruptive noise differently. We learn to meet sound that displeases with the same stillness with which we meet the sound that pleases us, as the following account reveals. Gareth had been drawn and dedicated to the practice of contemplation over many years. He heard about a week-long retreat on contemplative prayer and thought this would be a good way to deepen his prayer life. The small retreat house was situated in a mountain village that overlooked a valley, the silence that pervaded the whole place was indescribable, and he settled easily into the spirit of the retreat along with all the other retreatants. They all sat together in silent prayer for a total of about seven hours spread throughout the course of the day. They combined this with manual work as well as some free time for napping or walks in nature. The retreat ended up being a pivotal breakthrough for him, not because of the prayerful silence and beauty of the mountains, but because of the outrageously annoying buzz of an electric saw. For about an hour in the afternoon over three consecutive days, the neighbor next door to the retreat house would saw timber with his electric table saw. Gareth thought his fillings were going to vibrate out of his back teeth, and he seriously considered either skipping that period of prayer or simply returning home. He just could not believe that this sort of disruption was happening during his retreat. The retreat guide advised him to stick with it and to use the ordeal as an experiment in cultivating interior silence in the midst of irritating noise. Apart from this hour, there was virtually complete absence of irritating noise. To the retreat guide's amazement, Gareth decided to try to adopt a mature attitude and follow his advice he ended up discovering something important about silence. Coping with disruptive noise that we simply cannot do anything about does not so much call for praying to the patron saint of noise reduction as for being resolved that it's okay for the noise to be there if it happens to be there and nothing can be done about it. To get caught up in a buzzing commentary on how irritating the noise is makes for a noisy relationship with noise. The irritation is something the mind adds. We need a simpler relationship with noise. Instead of meeting an irritating buzzsaw, we just want to let the buzzsaw be there if nothing can be done about it. For this to happen, two things are required. First, if our practice has been 
deeply established. We are in a position to learn something from silence and its generous way of allowing noise to be present when it happens to be present. To get caught up in commentary on the noise will not make it go away, but will only tighten the clenching of our jaws around our preference that the noise be gone. Our own generous release into our practice mirrors what silence does all the time. Silence is wide and gracious enough to allow sound, even irritating sound, to be present. Second, instead of trying to push disruption away, we shift our attention away from the disrupting noise to our prayer word or to whatever our contemplative practice is. The return is not a pushing away of a reactive clinging, but a generous release to our practice. We will soon begin to see the noisy disruptions that we cannot control become an exercise, a training that strengthens us in our practice the way a challenging terrain strengthens the distance runner. But again, this return to our practice will not be a pushing away or a flight from the disruption. Deepening immersion in the contemplative practice is simultaneous with allowing disruption to be present. We just become better at not letting it steal our attention. And when it inevitably does, we simply bring the attention home without comment. This is what Gareth needed to learn. Continuing on page 53. Gareth's breakthrough came when he was sitting there during a period of silent prayer as the electric saw squealed. He said later to the retreat guide, quote, I do not know how to put this into words. My commenting mind simply fell away. There was only the sound of the saw, but there was no commenting mind listening to it. There was only the sound of the saw. Now that this is in the past, and I reflect upon it, I sound silly. But I know that when the mind is still, sound is as silent as no sound. Gareth's experience was a real grace, but should not be considered exceptional to the dynamics of inner silencing. St. Isaac the Syrian says, quote, Love silence above all things because it brings you near to the fruit that the tongue cannot express, end quote. He encourages us to practice silence diligently, quote, Then from out of this silence, something is born that leads to, capital S, silence itself, end quote. Meister Eckhart says, quote, The noblest attainment in this life is to be silent, end quote. By silent, does this 14th century Dominican friar simply mean physical silence? He means far more than this and calls it being, quote, in the right state of mind, end quote. Eckhart illustrates this in a provocative way in an address to young people who are training to be fellow members of his Dominican order. In characteristic fashion, Eckhart shocks his audience a bit. He says, quote, I was once asked, some people like to withdraw from company and prefer always to be alone. That is where they find peace. Is this the best thing? My answer was no, end quote. Why would Eckhart say no? 
He is fully aware that physical silence is the preferred environment for prayer, that it needs to be valued and cultivated. But deep prayer is not about a physically silent environment, but about the loving communion that is capital S silence itself. And that capital S silence itself is deeper than the presence or sound of sound waves. A silent environment is the opposite of a noisy environment, but the silence Eckhart wants to lead these students to has no opposite. It grounds all that appears and disappears in awareness, all that comes and goes. Eckhart is trying to nudge his audience toward this discovery. The realization of this silence that has no opposite is what he calls being in, quote, the right state of mind, end quote. This right state of mind is a silent mind and is always present within us. Therefore, Eckhart says, quote, If he is in the right state of mind, he is so whether he is in church or the marketplace, end quote. Gareth made good use of what disrupting noise had to teach him. So let's go back to that saying of Abba Arsenius, and let's just imagine that Arsenius had a spiritual director himself, and he were to come to his director and say, I've been in prayer, and the sound of the sparrows and then the reeds in the wind are disrupting my inner silence. This could be similar to Gareth here, but instead of the bird song or the reeds, it's this buzzsaw speaking to his retreat facilitator. What we don't hear a spiritual director or this retreat facilitator saying is, get over it or deal with it. We can't respond to this teaching and this suggestion to use external noise as a way to move in deeper to internal silence. As we read these things, I want to caution against the vocabulary of what we should be doing. You should be able to get over it. You should be able to deal with it. Instead, listen to this teaching as a suggestion for what to notice may be possible. Returning to my introductory thought, each of us has different spiritualities and personalities. Each of us has a different station in life. And so each of us will respond to noise in different ways. The question again is what the Spirit is calling you to today in your own cultivation of this interior silence. So before we continue reading anymore, let's listen to that. We open ourselves again to the Spirit, asking Jesus to be concrete and tangible with us. What rhythms, what patterns, what daily disciplines can shift and change? Where can I find opportunities to pursue and sustain interior silence 
in the way that you have called me to live. So continuing on page 55, a wheel full of spokes. Indeed, silence does more than tiptoe around the house. Silence moves through all sound like water through netting. The deeper our own interior silence, the more we take on its gracious ways of opening up the tight mind that clenches its teeth around what it wants and spits out what it doesn't want. The optimal environment for prayer is physical silence. St. Augustine, surely one of the most eloquent people in history, thought it was better to keep silent than to speak, and that, quote, one should speak only if it is a duty demanded by one's office, end quote. He continues, quote, Why do you want to speak and not want to listen? You're always rushing out of doors, but are unwilling to return into your own house. Your teacher is within, end quote. Physical silence is good for us and needs to be pursued, cultivated, understood, and revered. Physical silence increases our awareness of all that is going on around us, especially the needs and sensitivities of others. Continuing at the bottom of page 56, Father Laird writes, For the mind that is silent, noise is as direct a spoke into the hub of silence as are birdsong, wind, and waves. It requires nothing more than to meet noise with stillness and not commentary. This is easier said than done and comes after many seasons of practice and much failure. But whether the noise in question is an electric table saw, rush hour traffic, heavy-footed neighbors in the apartment above us, difficult life circumstances at home or work, or more deafening, the mind-numbing din of the cocktail party in our heads, The way of silence receives with engaged awareness all that is, just as it is, as a large screened-in porch receives whatever breeze that blows. In the last paragraph on 57, Life has a way of being exactly the way it happens to be at any given moment. Life being how it is, just this, is a wheel of spokes leading into the hub of silence, irrespective of the presence or absence of pleasant or unpleasant sound. Surely we have our preference as to sound or absence of sound, but silence, capital S silence, resounds in all sound, pleasant or unpleasant. This capital S silence 
resounding in all sound, ventilates the porches of the mind and makes the ears of attention attend, discovering the capital S silence that resounds in all sound, even in noise, places us in what Meister Eckhart calls the right state of mind. Whether we are in country quiet or market mayhem, this strengthens our practice of contemplation. So it is no mistake that this Wednesday morning when I am recording this section of our journey through this book, I'm up in my studio and my soon-to-be three-year-old daughter is outside in her backyard making noise. At one point while tracking this, my oldest son wanted to come in and sit down. I said, it's okay for you to be in here as long as you are absolutely silent. I believe it's the noise of the daily news, whether it's another killing of a black man. And then the news yesterday that 126,000 people have died as a result of COVID-19. There is a good chance that many of our states here will need to continue some more strict form of quarantine, shelter in place than most of us had been hoping for. Suffering allows a kind of internal noise. My concern is that most of us are not aware of how much trauma we're going through and how much noise is really pulsing inside of ourselves. So as we close, I invite you to especially pay attention to what kind of grief, what kind of mourning, what kind of lament is necessary to, to purge, to cleanse. We need to weep to let our spiritual eyes be cleansed. To lament is to move past this noise and to trust that deeper silence. So how are you today? What internal noise is there? What tapes of resentment? What thoughts of anger and impatience are pulsing inside of your mind? We can return to the sacred name of Jesus. He is our stronghold and our refuge. He is our deliverer. He is faithful from generation to generation. His loving kindness endures forever. And so we can pray prayers of lamentation. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me, so far away from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Where are you, Father, in the midst of all this turmoil? We breathe in the sacred name of Jesus. Breathe out, Jesus. Where are you? Amen. And here is a closing thought as we say goodbye that might offend your intellect, but I can say that I am excited when we come to places of acknowledged suffering. I am giddy to look at weakness. As a spiritual director, this is time and time again where people find breakthrough and openness to God's mercy and love when we see our blindnesses, when we see our resistances, when we take, when we take the calamity and the suffering that, that is in the world around us and use those circumstances as opportunities to open to God. And I'm excited about this here because this is truly the nature of the call of the invitation as a podcast, as a ministry of spiritual direction, and facilitating retreats as well as working inside of a prison. The Invitation is a ministry of spiritual direction that is invigorated by the movements of the Holy Spirit in a prison. That is the mission statement. The other way I say this is that I am called as a missionary to the church through the prison. So that's an upside-down way of understanding what is traditionally understood to be prison ministry. I don't go to the prison to take Jesus to the men. Instead, I go to the prison as a kind of desert, as a wilderness, where God is already in that place of suffering and darkness. And I discover Jesus with fresh eyes, with a way that grows my faith in my heart, and then I bring that enthusiasm, that potential for transformation to the church, to everyone I serve in the local church through spiritual direction, through retreats, and through this podcast. And of course, my activity in the prison is on hold, and that's why I'm able to do more 
regular offerings with this journey through a sunlit absence. So I want to make an appeal that you would join me in this ministry. As I've said before, the greatest way that you can serve the invitation, the way that you can come alongside what we are doing with the invitation is to share the invitation, to invite someone to the invitation. Let them know about what God is doing inside of you through the practice of contemplative prayer, through the vulnerability of discovering your weaknesses, through the agony of trying to quiet and calm your mind and your heart and your soul. And of course, it is a great help if you can support the invitation financially. It turns out that less than 2% of podcast listeners contribute financially to their favorite podcasts. So if you've been listening for a while and this has been a resource for your growth, and if you've been thinking somebody else is giving financially to make the invitation happen, the truth is that somebody else is you. I am really enjoying putting this journey together for you through a sunlit absence. We have this conversation with Father Laird next Thursday, and I have all kinds of hope that the invitation can continue to grow and to flourish and to serve you and many others with your partnership in this ministry, your prayer, helping to get the word out, and your financial support. You can find a donation link at invitationpodcast.org. Remember that the invitation is a 501c3, so it may be possible for your financial support to be tax-deductible. It is truly an honor and a gift to have you on this journey, listening, praying, growing, and loving. So until next time, Amen.